Um, this is one of Jesus's, I, I would say, more popular parables. If you're familiar with the sayings of Jesus, he has uh, a few stories, parables that he tells that would probably be considered his greatest hits. This is definitely up there. It's the parable of the, the sower or the soil and the sower, depending upon how your Bible might label it. But it's a parable about, it's a farming metaphor is what it is. It's an agricultural metaphor about the quality of soil and how if you're going to plant seeds in soil, you hope that those seeds are going to take root and bear fruit and, and produce a crop, something that's helpful, that's beneficial. Um, and it's obviously a metaphor for life, um, for us following Jesus, for us listening to his teachings um, trying to obey his commandments and wanting to, to see, uh, we want to be effective in that. We want to see results. We want to actually do it right. Um, I don't think anyone drags themselves to church on a Sunday morning to like get worse at their relationship with Jesus. Um, let me just say this and then we'll jump right into it. But growing up as a kid, I was arguably the most non-competitive non little boy you will have ever met. Seriously. All that little boys running around trying to score a goal, make a basket. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really care. I know those of you that know me, you're like, yeah, that's pretty obvious. Um, because I'm just terrible at sports. But the funniest thing happened. When Jesus got a hold of my life, and I, I say it like that because really, like Jesus just came bombarding into my life, unexpected, uninvited. Jesus just, just said, I'm here, let's go, we're going to do this. And of course, he let me say yes, but it was, it was a pretty hostile takeover. He just, he just came right on in. And I began to feel competitive. Maybe there's a better word for it, but I began to feel like ambitious for life. Like I wanted to start, I, I wanted my life to count. And you know what really got my attention when someone was explaining the gospel to me? They sort of shared the gospel with me in the context of purpose. And they said, God has a plan for your life. He's given you life for a reason. He's prepared the things good works for you to do, but you must trust him. You must relinquish control of your life. You must set down your agenda and take up his and follow him and trust him with all of your heart, with all of your will and fulfill this purpose that he's created you for. And I said, yes, heck yes. That's what I want. That's how I want to live my life. And so I did and I began to follow Jesus. And I began to feel a new passion for life. And I wanted to grow. I wanted to, to become the person that Jesus was recreating me to be. I wanted to bear fruit. Fruit, abundant fruit that lasts, as Jesus puts it. This parable that we're about to read is about that. Jesus is explaining to his listeners, and he's been telling all sorts of parables, the context is he's beginning, he shares this parable as he's been giving many teachings, and he wants to explain to his listeners 
if you really want to experience the kind of fruitfulness that you were given life for in the first place, you need to understand some things. You need to understand how, how this is going to work. And so that's, that's the context. That's what we're going to read now. So let's go ahead and do it. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed some seed, um, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So that's the parable. Um, If we could go to the next slide. He's talking about the path, rocky ground, among thorns, the soil among thorns, and good soil. He says that the seeds that fell on the path had no chance of survival. Uh, The birds, whatever those might be, we'll get to that. The birds are going to come and simply devour the seeds every time. No chance of fruitfulness. The rocky ground... He says this is the kind of ground that does not have enough depth of soil. Uh, The seeds will take some kind of root, quickly spring up, but because of no depth, as the sun begins to beat down, the seedlings simply wither away. No lasting power, no staying power. The soil among the thorns. It's decent soil, but... It's overrun with brambles. Despite the growth or the potential growth, the thorns uh, choke out the seedlings as they begin to grow. And then, of course, the good soil. This is the soil that produces a great crop, much fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. And I don't, I don't know, apparently that's a really good return. <laughs> you can read the commentary yourself. 100 fold. Apparently average would have been like tenfold. That would have been a great crop. So Jesus is talking about if you want to experience the kind of life that I'm offering you, the hundredfold sort of fruitfulness, keep listening. Keep listening. I want to explain to you something about the soil of your soul. So that's the parable. Let's keep going. And and then Jesus goes slightly Yoda. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12, that is the 12 apostles, 
asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. The secret of the kingdom of God. What? What on earth? Let me ask you guys this. So before we go on to the next section where Jesus actually explains the meaning of the parable, is anyone like wondering to themselves right now, I wonder what it means. Like what on earth is this metaphor, this, this parable about the seeds and the soil, and what's the seed, and what, what, what is the whole metaphor, what is this meant to be, and when Jesus says, the secret of the kingdom of God, are you like, yes, I want to know the secret, or is everyone sitting in the room thinking like, no, it's pretty obvious like what it's a metaphor for, has anyone never ever heard the explanation of this parable? Is anyone dying to hear what the secret is? Okay, all right. Because I'm being being sincere. When I was reading through this, and I've been meditating this on on this for for weeks, months, really, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, maybe it's because I've read this passage so many times that the meaning of the parable actually seems relatively obvious to me. Like Like it's Jesus. He's talking to the crowd, and we talked last week about how within the crowd, there's, there's varying perspectives, all sorts of confusion and, and uh, opinion about who is Jesus really. His family's got an opinion. The Pharisees have an opinion. And it would seem that as the crowd is listening, there's, there's a distinction between those who are meant to understand and then those who are kind of on the outside. And I would argue, and this is straight up Yoda, I mean this is slightly cryptic stuff. He quotes Isaiah, uh, that they may indeed see but not perceive. This is one of the Old Testament prophets. May indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Remember he said, let those who have ears hear. So he's talking about some sort of spiritual perception, but then he makes this very enlightening comment. He says that to those who are outside, everything is in parables. Everything's cryptic, everything's metaphorical. To those who are simply looking in from the outside, it's quite likely that they will only ever understand this to be an agricultural metaphor and nothing more than that. And I would argue that here Jesus is giving us a glimpse at a kingdom that is, just, that is more than mere metaphor, It's more than just a spiritual idea to ponder. He's offering a life that we are to participate in. And until we decide to come inside the kingdom and begin to actually trust Jesus in a very real and risky way, it's quite possible that we'll only ever look on from the outside and think, hmm, That's an interesting metaphor. What lessons might I apply to improve my life versus hearing, seeing, understanding, perceiving, experiencing 
this life that Jesus is actually describing in quite poetic terms. As long as you're merely looking in from the outside, Jesus' kingdom will only sound like an, an agricultural metaphor. Jesus' kingdom, it's a come and see kingdom. It's a come and see experience. It's a life to participate in. It's a new family to which to belong. This is, I believe, what Jesus is getting at, at least in this, what I would call a bit of a side thought. He tells a parable, and he says, come in, come in, come on. I'm going to explain to you the secret, but you need to understand the only reason this is going to make any sense to you because you're actually following me. As long as you're only ever looking in from the outside, a part of the crowd speculating, waxing opinion, looking for the practical application, you might miss it. You might miss it. This is more of an experiential phenomenon. We can ponder that. Let's keep going. So he explains. The sower sows the word. Okay, so literally as Jesus is teaching this parable, he's saying, think of my words as seeds. So literally he's applying this parable to the parable itself. It's a beautiful sort of paradox there. The sower sows the word, verse 15, and these are the ones, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Let's go to the next slide, please. Let's just zoom in on this. So when he's talking about the path, he's saying, remember this is the path with the birds? He's saying this is like the soil where when the seeds fall on the ground, uh, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that has been sown in them. So I would say the path is like the well-trodden way. It's the mainstream. It's the way that the quote-unquote world goes. The birds are demonic scavengers that are just waiting to snatch away the seeds of God's word. Constantly waiting to swoop down and devour the words of the sower. Let's go to the rocky ground. The rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Yay. And they have no root in themselves. But endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. What do you suppose that's all about? If the path is the mainstream, this is where everyone's going, this is like the way of the world, this is the, this is the well-trodden path of life, the, the path of least resistance, I would say the rocky ground is off the beaten path. 
This is the person whose attitude might be like, look, I'm not trying to go to mainstream. I'm not trying to do what everyone else is doing. I'm not trying to simply do what everyone is telling me to do or be. I'm quite happy to blaze a trail. I'm, I'm, I'm down for an adventure. I'm excited for the new thing. And so you're happy to go off the path, but because of no depth of soul, you're the kind of person that gets really excited for like a minute. And you're like, ah, oh, this is kind of hard. Right? <laughs> it's kind of hard. Persecution comes, sun's beating down. You're like, oh, maybe, let's, perhaps it's time to move on to the next new thing. I don't know, is this a character issue? Is this a, like, you're just a bit flaky and impatient issue? Like, you get easily excited about the next new thing, but as soon as you're bored with that, you just move on? I mean, that, I don't know. Very little depth. No root within yourself. As soon as things get difficult, you're on to the next thing. Let's talk about the thorns. Among the thorns. They hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You hear the words of Jesus, you hear the gospel, but your desire for other things, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches take over. could say that you've got decent soil, but you've got a major bramble problem. You guys know about brambles? You ever had a bramble infestation in your yard? Yeah, it's the worst. Those things are painful. You gotta put on those thick leather gloves and get in it. Some of you are like, I don't know, don't know. You lost me. They're thorns. They're thorns, and they actually grow great, well, virtually anywhere. But if you've got some decent soil, and you're actually trying to grow some vegetation, some wheat, as this parable would say, those brambles, they'll grow right along with the fruit that's sprouting up and just choke it out. They're they're an aggressive plant. They don't just sort of politely grow along next next side to you or whatever you're trying to, they're, they're trying to choke out whatever it is that you're trying to produce in this good soil. Cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. That's, that's the love of money. And then of course there's the good soil. You hear the word, you accept it, and bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Can you see yourself fitting in to any of these categories? Can you connect with any of these things? Because that is kind of the idea. Jesus is teaching this to his disciples, actually, and he's wanting them to understand, look, it's not enough just to simply hear my words. You've got to consider the state of your heart, the soil of your soul. Because unless, unless something's happening here in your heart, the fruit you desire to bear may not come about. Let, let's, let's break it down a little bit further. Let's go to the next slide, please. Let's talk about getting off the beaten path, dealing with your rocks, 
uprooting all the thorns, and then sowing in prayer and rest. If we're to think of ourselves as having soil in our own hearts and desiring to grow and be fruitful, desiring to actually mature as a follower of Jesus and wanting to get serious about what's going on in your soul so that you can bear the kind of fruit that Jesus has promised that we will bear. And what, what are we talking about fruit, by the way? Like what kind of fruit? Like big house? Successful job? No? Come on. A little bit? No, probably not. I would say, well, you've got the Galatians. What is it? Nine, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think I missed one. So these are the characteristics of God's heart. And when the human heart is being filled with the spirit of God, you begin to resemble your heavenly father. And so you begin to love like God. You begin to have joy like God. You're generous like God. You're patient like God. You're kind like God. You're gentle like God. You become more and more like Christ in the way you're relating to others, which means that if you really want to analyze the fruitfulness in your life, I would say look at the relationships. Look at your relationship with God, first and foremost, and your relationship with others. Because if you've got love, joy, peace, patience, and all of that happening in your life, you're very likely going to have some very healthy relationships in your life. So that would be one practical way of evaluating the fruit, but more importantly, the actual soul, soil of your soul in your life. So then what do you do? How do we, how do we, how do we fix it? How do we treat the soil? Um, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to young Timothy, he, uh, he was telling Timothy to think of himself, this was a leader in the church, Someone who actually had been given the responsibility to, to help others tend the soil of their souls. And he said, think of yourself like, a, like an athlete. Think of yourself like a soldier. And think of yourself like a farmer. Any farmers in here? Anyone own an allotment? No? We've got a couple of like veggie boxes in our backyard. Any veggie box owners? There we go. Come on. He says in 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 6, it is the hard-working farmer who should be the first to receive the share of the crops. And he elaborates on that. The idea is that part of tending the soil of our own souls is by thinking of ourselves like farmers, hard-working farmers. My father-in-law is a farmer on the, on the, in the Karoo in South Africa. He's arguably one of the hardest-working men I've ever met in my life. I'm so, so glad I'm not a farmer. I, I, have, I have soft, soft hands. It's embarrassing. We're to think of ourselves like farmers, tending the soil of our souls. Number one, we need to get off the beaten path. If you want to follow Jesus... This is arguably like Christianity 101. You need to come to terms with the fact that to follow Jesus means you're getting off the broad path and you're stepping onto the narrow path. You're gonna to begin to live differently. You will be looked at like a freak in this world. People will hate you 
for following Jesus. That was one of Jesus' promises to us. If they hated me, they will hate you. It's not a popular way to live. It's a beautiful way to live. But there's something about the, the world and its brokenness. The darkness is still a reality in this world that you, you've got to come to terms with the fact that if you're going to tend the soil of your soul and follow Jesus and, and be fruitful and to grow in that, that's like step number one. Get off the mainstream. Get off the beaten path because as long as you're trying to follow Jesus and still live like the way of the world, as long as you're trying to be of the world and follow Jesus, every seed that's planted in your soul, the enemy will just come down and be up, oh, snatch that up, snatch that up. You'll never get anywhere. Where you might get is convinced in your own mind that, you know what, this Christianity stuff doesn't work. It's a crock. I tried it. It doesn't work. It's possible, possible, I can't speak for the world, but it's possible that what you actually tried was sort of a, um, what I considered to be like a self-help version of the religion Christianity. Like here's some, you know, spiritual principles that you comply to your life to improve yourself, to maybe make more money or blah, blah, blah. And, and, and there is great gain to godliness. You can't actually use the principles of the gospel and, and produce very satisfying results in your life. But if you think that that equals walking in an intimate, communing relationship with your creator and becoming like Christ, I'm afraid you're still on, on the well-beaten path. Possibly. Possibly. You may be mastering the way of religion, but if you've not died to yourself and taken up your cross and invited Jesus to come in and transform you from the inside out, then you may, all of those seeds may just be getting snatched away left and right. So that, that's step one. You've got to get off the path and into the dirt. You've got to begin to follow Jesus into the wild and trust him with all of your life. Secondly, you gotta deal with the rocks. You gotta deal with the rocks. What is it in your life that's causing you to live like a shallow, flaky person who for the life of you can just not keep a commitment for more than 10 years? And I'm not trying to be judgy, maybe a little judgy. I'm not immune to this, this reality, for sure. It's a struggle. But the question is, are you dealing with your rocks? Are you being honest with yourself? Like, I make commitments, and I break them so easy. Because it's just so convenient to shoot out a text and be like, oh, I'm not going to make it. But you said you would. You said you would. You said you would. Are we people of integrity? When we say yes, we mean yes. We don't even really have to make promises because yes means yes and our no means no. Do we have depth of soul? Are we dealing with those rocks? And what are the rocks anyways? You know, I was um, at a big backyard at our house um, when we were living in London a few years ago. Uh, we rented this house. It was really weird because in, in central London, like the backyards are usually about as big as like like that chair. Like you get like a tiny, tiny little, little patch of nothing. 
and we were living in this corner house, and it was like, there was like a jungle back there. It was so weird. I think there used to be another house back there, and they teared it down, and, and, uh, and it was just great. We, we planted stuff, and I remember one summer, I was out there trying to fix the fences, and there was a big old like mound. It was a mound of dirt covered with leaves, and I was trying to level it out, and I realized that the reason there was a little mountain in my backyard is because someone had like dumped a pile of their garbage like over the fence into my, my jungle. And uh, so I started to dig into this, this pile of junk, and I started to find some stuff. You know what I found? I found one of these, I don't know what they call it, it's, it's, you probably can help me, Jake, uh, the, the best piece of cookware that I own. I still have it. I brought it with me back to the States. This big old pot, like a big old roasting pot. A what? Dutch oven. Dutch oven. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> like really big and really heavy. Like these things cost a couple of hundred dollars. And I found it buried in my backyard. I'm like digging this thing up. I go from like, oh, this is like, what's wrong with people who would dump their garbage in someone's backyard? And I'm digging this up, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I found treasure. Now I've become a treasure hunter. And I'm digging this thing up. And I start to clean it off, and I realize like this, this thing's still usable. I like cleaned it really good, obviously, and we still have it to this day. Super heavy, nice pot. And I was thinking about that. I think sometimes the rocks buried in our soil it's, it's perhaps character flaws, absolutely. I think we could all work on like reducing our general level of flakiness in life. Um, I think we can all agree to that. But then sometimes people come along and just dump their garbage in your soil. It's like, you, you know, like you're five years old and someone's dumped garbage in your backyard. That has affected like the very internal reality of your being. It's not that you just have like little character. It's not that you're just flaky. It's actually you're full of fear. You have commitment issues because of something that got dumped in your soil 10 years ago. You need to deal with it. You need to dig that thing out. Here's the beautiful thing. What was once a stone buried in your soul can become a pot that you use to cook meals with for your family. It's a beautiful metaphor. It's true. God, God is the master of redemption. He is the master of redemption. He takes things that would otherwise ruin your life. If you will dig them up and give them to him, he will clean them and he will change those things that were wrecking your character into compassion into gentleness, into patience for others, into graciousness towards people with their own rocks and junk that they're dealing with. You know, like annoying people, like us. But you gotta, you gotta be willing to go there. You gotta be willing to dig in, stop living on the surface, stop moving on every time something gets hard. This is one of the things, I'm very, very passionate about this in church families. Um, as a pastor, I have to consciously resist the temptation to be paranoid that like if I say something that's going to challenge you or like ruffle your feather or in some, some way insinuate that you're not exactly the way God wants you to be before you die, 
Like there's something fundamentally broken that God wants to heal in you. People are like, whoa, what do you mean? What are you implying? You're saying I'm not perfect? Yes, that's exactly what God's word is saying. Like, oh, forget it. I'm out of here. I got, I, got, I got 20 churches down the road I can pick from. Guys, we've got to stay put until God says otherwise. Until the, until the spirit of Jesus says, I'm moving you now, and this is God's prerogative because we are his sheep. But until God says, okay, time to move on. I've got another mission for you. We need to stay put because that's how the rocks get dealt with. Uproot all thorns. First Timothy chapter six, verse 10. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now you think, well, why money? Where do you pick on money? Really? Do you have to even ask? The love of money. The deceitfulness of riches. Care of the world. These things will choke out the seeds that God is wanting to plant in your heart. You might have great soil. Maybe you grew up in a home where you were loved. Not a whole lot of trash was dumped in your soul. But along the way, some brambles began to find their way into your soul. You began to be tempted for other things. Oh, and let's, let's admit it, we're all masters at justifying our desire for riches. I can find a million and one ways to justify why I need a new this or a new that or a better this or the other. And some of it's perfectly fine. Some of it, I would say, probably is justifiable. And it is for God's glory. And for the good of his people. Wonderful. Some of it, I don't know, guys. They're brambles. They're thorns. And they choke out the good things that Jesus is trying to do in our hearts. As individuals and as a church family, if we begin to bicker fight, judge, gossip, do all these different things that are really rooted in comparing yourself with others. Oh, he's got it, I don't. He got the opportunity, I didn't, etc., etc. Brambles, thorns, cares of the world, worldly cares. Um, thorns apparently not many of us in here have ever battled brambles but there's only one way to get brambles uh, properly dealt with you gotta get the root out you gotta get the root out believe me I've tried to just like cut them down like you wake up the next day and you're like oh my goodness they're back with a vengeance you can't just cut them down I mean you could go like scorched earth on them which is maybe even better but unless you know, maybe, no, don't do that. But you gotta get the root out. You gotta chop these things down low enough, you gotta dig down, and they have massive, massive roots. You've gotta deal with the roots 
in your soul to make sure that these things get properly out of the ground. Um, otherwise, the good things that God is wanting to do in your life, in his church, eventually they will get choked out. It may take a few years, but they will get choked out. You will love God. You will love money more than you love God. Be vigilant. Be vigilant. Number four, sow in prayer, then rest. Sow in prayer, then rest. Can we go to the next slide, please? You guys remember this picture? This is uh, Jean-Francois Millet, 19th century French realist. This is called the Angelus. The Angelus is a sort of an historic Catholic prayer. Catholics would pray three times a day at certain times. And um, I grew up with this picture hanging in my living room. It's, it's rather nostalgic for me. It's a picture of a couple. Clearly they've labored hard. And now they're bowing their heads to ask God to bless their labor. Notice the wagon there. It's kind of hard to see with the lighting in here, but it's a wagon full of empty potato sacks. They've not yet reaped the harvest. They've labored. They've tilled the soil. They've planted. They undoubtedly have been, they've worked hard. They've worked hard. And now they bow their heads and ask God to bless their labor. This is such a beautiful picture of our lives as, as followers of Jesus. We are called to work hard. The Apostle Paul, he wrote to the Colossians, he said, I worked harder than all of you. Only with the energy that God so richly provides. It's one of the beautiful paradoxes of the Christian faith. It's not merely a passive experience. It's a call to participate. We become co-laborers with Jesus. And we labor with the, the energy, the grace that he so richly provides. And yet we labor, we work. And at the end of the day, we bow our heads and say, God, my life is in your hands. And we rest. We rest because we know that the perfect work of Jesus has been done. We're not adding to God's work. We're participating in it. We're resting in the fact that we will fall short. We will all fall short. But we have a God who's a savior and a king who's faithful. He's a God who we can take our, our meager little, you guys remember the, uh, the fish and the loaves? Jesus feeding the 5,000. And his disciples say, well, we're supposed to take care of these people. We got nothing. He's like, give me what you got. They bring him two fish, five loaves. And he blesses them. And he feeds the masses. That's how faithful our God is. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. Hannah, can you come up, please? 1 Corinthians 3, 7 and 9 says, Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. 
the one who plants and the one who waters, have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are God's co-workers. We are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. We are God's field. We are co-laborers and we are the field itself called to bear fruit, fruit that lasts 30, 60, 100 fold. You got one of these babies? What is this for you? How does this work? You got rocks, you got thorns, you're still on the well-trodden path thinking that this is where the harvest is gonna happen. Where are you at? Where are you at? You know, we gather here. I do my best to teach. And I trust that the Holy Spirit is is helping us, that he is our teacher. But after you've heard the words, then we we need to engage. We need to reflect a little bit and say, okay, God, what do you want to do in my soul? What's going on in the the soil of my heart now? What do you want to get at? Where do I need to to change the way I think? Am I shallow? Am I flaky? Am I more passionate about my job and my career and my future paycheck than I am about the things of God? And we could ask a few more questions. Hannah's gonna lead us in a song now that she wrote for us. And um, you guys don't know the song. She's gonna share a few words and she's gonna play it for us. And then I'm gonna come back up or maybe Hannah will just do it. And we're gonna have a time where we're gonna pray for each other. I'm not gonna have anyone raise hands. Um, And if you don't wanna receive prayer or if you don't wanna pray for someone, don't worry. I'm not gonna force anyone to do that. But we're gonna have a moment where you can turn to someone that you're sitting next to and simply ask the question, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And you can pray for them. Vice versa. Go ahead, Hannah. You're now listening to Grace City Portland. <laughs> 